Hello, and welcome to another edition of Ask the Professor, a crowd-supported, crowd-driven feature where we answer your questions on political philosophy, on history, on culture, on foreign affairs, on all those things that matter to us in our life together as citizens. And today's question comes from Andrew, who asks, why is it that Canada has hate speech laws and the United States does not? Which arrangement, he asks, is better? This is an excellent question. And I would say that the United States has virtually no hate speech laws, and we have too many, partly because their constitution was written in a time when people were clearer about these things, and partly because I believe for all its difficulties, the United States still is somewhat clearer on the question of liberty. Now, a lot of people go to think, oh, no, no, we've got to have hate speech laws because otherwise people will say terrible things that will cause terrible injustice and mistreatment to identifiable minorities, to unpopular fringe groups. It's a matter of common decency. And I'm certainly not advocating the expression of loathsome sentiments, let alone people acting on them. But you see, the classic defense of free speech is precisely that in an open contest of ideas, truth will prevail. So it rests in confidence, first of all, that hate is wrong might seem trite to say it, but it's important to start with the fundamentals. Hate is wrong. And secondly, that if given a proper chance to consider the issues, the vast majority of people will agree that hate is wrong and they will care. And I don't think it's ever been put better than it was by John Stuart Mill in On Liberty, which is written in the 19th century, halfway between the American Constitution and the present day, pretty much. And Mill said, really, there are three arguments in favor of freedom of speech. The first of these is an unpopular or unfamiliar idea might actually turn out to be true. That might seem like an odd thing to bring up in context of hate speech, but I would ask progressives who are inclined to restrict speech on campus and elsewhere to consider that until quite recently, advocacy of gay marriage or indeed of interracial marriage would have been shouted down. People said, we should be a law against that. It's shocking. It's disgusting. So let us not be in too much of a hurry to ban things that shock us today, including, for instance, advocacy for the rights of the unborn, because it may be that one day posterity will look at us and wonder how we could have been so blind. But I don't think this is going to happen with, say, racial prejudice. But it could happen in surprising ways. It certainly did to our ancestors, and they were not you know, inherently worse people than us. So one reason you want to allow free speech is because it is actually possible that something you believe, even something you believe deeply, is mistaken. But there are two other arguments. Mill says, suppose that some unpopular idea is brought up, somebody challenges conventional wisdom, and it turns out that the challenge is wrong, that we were right all along, that something was mistaken or that something was appalling. Nevertheless, he says, there's considerable virtue in having it discussed and debated because in the process, something that was dead dogma turns in your mind into living truth. By being forced to wrestle with it, to find the right defense, to articulate the right defense, you come to live a truth that formerly you'd simply kept in a mental equivalent of a glass case. And I think you do see this to some extent with the campus zealots for social justice chanting slogans, but unable to argue them because they have deliberately denied themselves the chance to use these ideas constructively. And the third one, Mill didn't call it this, but 
in the modern world is called the Dracula effect, the idea that sunlight destroys evil, that we want to allow the expression of unpopular views so that they are drawn into debate and destroyed, so that their adherents can see them demolished in a free exchange of ideas, instead of giving them the kind of protection and even the aura of martyrdom that comes from driving them underground where they can fester in the damp and in the dark. So that's the theoretical argument against restrictions on speech. And in the United States, partly because their constitution does date from the 18th century, from a time, incidentally, when the British constitution that we were to inherit in the 19th century was as devoted to liberty as the American one. As the American founding fathers knew, if that strikes you as controversial, I invite you to look at my documentary, True, Strong and Free, discussing the origins of our own arrangements. The Canadian Constitution, unfortunately, was written in the 1980s, when statism was very much in vogue. And although it guarantees you things like freedom of speech and freedom of association, the problem isn't the notwithstanding clause, it's section one that says you're guaranteed these rights, but that they can be limited to the extent that such limitations are justifiable in a free and democratic society. Which means if you've got judges who are social engineers, almost any limitation can be justified. And there was for some time a rather draconian restriction on free speech in Canada, Section 13 of the Human Rights Act, which mercifully Parliament has repealed. But I'm sorry that it wasn't struck down as unconstitutional. And so Canada's hate speech laws now under the criminal code largely prohibit advocacy of genocide. And also, and I think this is not a very bad thing, that they prohibit expressions likely to arouse hatred toward identifiable groups if it's likely to cause a breach of the peace. So it's really a matter of creating a public menace on the, along the lines of shouting fire in a crowded theater, which free speech doesn't let you do. Uh, but the United States system has even more leeway, and it has more leeway in part because they inherited this constitution from a time when people were more convinced of the value of liberty, but also I think because Americans to this day, for all their difficulties, still do believe more in liberty, and, and this is crucial, they believe in the common sense of the common people. They are not concerned that if hate speech were permitted, people would turn into foaming at the mouth, mob, bigots, and haters. And when I hear people advocating free speech in Canada, it troubles me not just because I think that, so advocating censorship, it troubles me not just because I think that it's gonna deny us the opportunity to debate ideas properly on this or that particular topic, but because it expresses a fundamental lack of faith in the people. So I would say, the United States arrangement is better, and it's better because it has a clearer understanding of the merits of exposing bad ideas, as well as good ones, to public discussion, and because it rests on greater faith in the common people. If you're enjoying this feature, and you would like to send a question, this URL tells you how to submit it. And if you would like to make a contribution to help sustain me in my work, click the little button there, It'll take you to my website and the Yes, I'll Help button because Ask the Professor depends on you for financial support and also for the questions that we answer. Thanks for watching and we'll see you next time.